Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Unhacked. Uh, it's been a few minutes since we've recorded our last session. And this week and moving forward, I've got a couple new co-hosts. We've got Mario and Brian. Um, before we dig in too much, I'm going to give both of you guys just a quick second to introduce yourself. Mario, you want to take it first? Sure. Uh, my name is Mario Zaki, I'm CEO of Mastec. We are a managed service provider in New Jersey, uh, servicing New Jersey, New York area. All right, Brian, what do you got? Um, yep, Brian Lashbell from uh, B4 Networks, uh, president and founder. Um, I um, represent a uh, B4 Networks out in Ontario, Canada. All right, you guys both uh, you do dabble a little bit with cybersecurity, I guess. Yeah, just We're learning. <laughs> <laughs> I would tell you quickly. Um, I love to tell this story because I got into IT, <laughs> computer repair, back in 1997. I was still kind of a kid back then. I'm dating myself. Um, never in my life did I imagine that I would be fighting cybercrime rings in Russia. Um, that's not why I got into the business, but here we are. You guys have anything similar to that? <laughs> did you Did you go into law enforcement and think, hey, someday I hope to be fighting crime? No, uh, I, my my kids to this day they they'll watch stuff on YouTube and about hackers and stuff like that. And they're like, "Daddy, you actually fight these hackers every day? That's so cool!" I'm like, "Yep, that's yeah. me." <laughs> it's cool. It makes it so I can't sleep at night. It's great. <laughs> yeah, I remember watching hackers when I was uh, really young, thinking, "Well, that looks really cool. All the things that they're doing, you know, uh, I'm gonna, I am gonna, I am gonna fight those guys one day." It's not the same at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's not. Um, <laughs> Uh, I was going to try it. Was it War Games? The first movie I ever saw about hacking way back when. Do you guys remember that one? Yeah. That was like launching one. missiles. <laughs> oh <my laughs> God. Uh, back on track. Um, <laughs> so today we're going to break down the MGM breach that happened in Las Vegas. Now, uh, I think you guys were heading down there at the same time I was, right? Did both of you guys, guys go to Vegas right after that breach happened? Brian, were you there? I, I was not there. But um, somebody I know very closely was was on their way down there during that time. Okay. I was supposed to be going the following week, so I didn't go when you went, but we ended up okay. canceling the trip. You know, we heard okay. it was a disaster down there. Yeah, I, I went down. They pretty much recovered. I didn't really even see any uh, lingering issues. I know behind the scenes there were probably plenty, um, but they'd done a pretty good job of getting back to business by the time I got there. But, um, man, if that... Uh, trip had been just a few weeks earlier. We, I don't know. I, I'm guessing we wouldn't would have had to cancel cancel it. So um, let's let's get into it. Let's talk about what happened. Um, and I think on our agenda we actually have the damage done second, and then how it happened first. Um, but let me switch that up. I'm gonna throw a curveball out there. Let's talk about what uh, from a from a user's perspective, a guest, or even an employee of MGM. What uh, what was the the damage the you know what? What kind of a hit did they take, Brian? You want to you want to start there? Yeah, um, I mean, from the get go, that the, the first signs of activity uh, for um, customers seem to be in like slot machines not working, ATMs not working, or or dispensing cash. So just some some symptoms like that. Some small things, um, right? You're going to Vegas, yeah. Slot machine missing. That's not a big deal. Right. And then even all the way up to, you know, things like digital key cards, not opening their hotel room doors. Like, could you imagine not being able to open your door to your own room? And um, that's happening across the whole, whole hotel or the multiple hotels they had. Yeah. I mean, I like seriously, as a guest, I, you know, it's, it's, I don't want to say fun, but it's interesting to break these down as a, you know, an outsider, a, a armchair quarterback or whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, but 
but to put yourself in the position of a guest going to Vegas, like you've, you've planned for this trip, you've made, you know, paid a fair amount of money, uh, taking time off. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's a family trip. Maybe it's with your friends. I don't know. Um, but it's usually a big deal, right? This isn't somewhere you go because you're just, Hey, what if we do this weekend? Um, people go to Vegas because this is a big deal and they get there, they can't get in the room. Uh, slot machines are down. I mean, what else was broken? Well, from from what I saw, like on videos and on the news, it just check in was taking hours, yeah. you know, because yeah. the 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 front uh, desk machines or computers they couldn't check people in, so they were waiting online for hours. Right, cash payments in some cases. They were doing transactions on paper. I mean, it was a mess. Yeah, you go. You got a big vacation. Yeah. Couldn't accept credit card. Uh, you know, right. you go there, and who brings cash with them anymore? Right. Yeah. So. And ATMs are down, you know, like, we're not talking about a small inconvenience here. This is a major thing for a lot of people. Um, what else do we, do we miss anything on? on oh, kind tons. Of yeah. I mean, they couldn't watch TV in their rooms. So when they were in their rooms, the phone lines were down. Um, you know, the, the sports booking pages weren't working. They couldn't take bets. Like, it was just, there's so much more. Yeah. And that's from a guest perspective. Now let's flip it a little bit. Um, let's imagine that you're the IT consultant or an internal IT guy when this is going on. Um, are any of us smiling? Uh, no, I'm just like calling it quits and running home. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I mean, almost, right? Like I'm, that might yeah. be one to throw in the towel. I don't know. Yeah. I cannot imagine being uh, the, the director, the, the CIO, or you know, anybody of significance when this was going on. Holy hell, like put yourself in their shoes just for a minute. Um, Talking about losing sleep. <laughs> oh, my sure God. Is. Yeah. The reality yeah. is, I mean, this could happen to literally any of us. Um, it doesn't it matter how many bars you put on the windows and, you know, locks you put on the doors. Uh, you know, if somebody kicks open the back door and uh, and holds it open, um, you know, there's there's not a whole lot anybody can do. Um, so, um, you know, awareness is, is so important. And, you know, the, the thing is, too, like this happened at a very high level, you know, a multi-trillion dollar company. But just like how ransomware first started, it started at a big level. And then these little guys started learning from it and and kind of doing it uh, themselves. So eventually it's going to start trickling down to the smaller companies and the hackers are not as, you know, part of the the same organizations. They're going to start trying to focus on like the low hanging fruit and they're going to start trying to focus on the smaller guys because, you know, there's a blueprint now of how, how something like this can be done. Yeah. I mean, maybe we should transition into how this was done. And, but to play off what you're saying, Mario, um, you know, when, when I'm out talking to clients or prospects about security, sometimes I get pushback uh, in one of two mindsets. And one is um, we're too small. We're not a target. They're not going to come after us. Right. That's one. Uh, we get that one all the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> then the other one is it's almost desperation or, or despair, right? Like if, if the MGM grand with all their money, all their resources can't avoid a hack, like what, what chance do we have? So why try, right? So you've got you've got those two mindsets that, that keep people out of it. And and really, my point with this whole podcast is um, most breaches are preventable. And if we're doing basic things, it's not like we have to throw a lot of money at it. Um, and we're going to get into the details of MGM. But in most cases, you can go back and look at how somebody was breached. And small things, inexpensive things, would have prevented that from happening. So in this case, um, 
it's kind of a yes and no to that, right? We've we've mm-hmm. got because this is such a high profile, super targeted attack. They did do, um, you know, if you're a big enough company, a big enough target, and somebody wants in bad enough, they will get in. You know, ninety seven percent. That's my number. That's that's the number of things that we can protect. Um, these guys were probably going to go down one way or another, yeah. right? I, I'm not going to sit here and say that MGM screwed up. I'm not. But we're going to look at what could they have done maybe, you know, looking back on it, what can we learn from it, stuff like that. So, um, Mario, as we were getting ready for this, you had some interesting information about uh, some of the, the legwork that the hackers did to get in. Do you want to talk about that for a second? Yeah, so, I mean, this was social engineering. So, you know, a hacker or the team, uh, they pretty much went online and public information. They went on LinkedIn. They found an employee that works there that realized, you know, he has his title there. So this guy should definitely have um, some sort of, you know, higher level permissions. So they they targeted, they, they contacted the MGM help desk and they said that uh, they are so-and-so. I, 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 don't, I don't know if they ever released the person's name um, and that he needs his password to reset. So they contact you know when he contacted the the help desk the guy that took the call um you know wanted to cooperate because he knew that this was probably like a c-level executive so he reset the password um and the hacker was able to gain access to the network yeah um you you threw a term out there and i always like to define these because our our audience doesn't always know um terms, definitions, acronyms, and all that. Social engineering, and Brian, I'm going to punt this one over to you. Do you want to tell our listeners what social engineering means? Yeah, maybe sure. It's absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So social engineering is when you use just um, non-technical means to get information and access. So um, I once uh, watched a video of someone trying to gain access to uh, somebody else's telephone uh, account with their, their telephone provider. And so uh, what they did is they put on a recording of a baby crying in the background uh, and um, they sounded really desperate, like, you know, very confused. Like, you know, my husband asked me to call you. you you know, he need he needed access to the air and just a moment, just a minute, quiet down, quiet down. Right. Um, and, you know, the person at the other end of the phone is very sympathetic and trying to help. And so obviously didn't follow process, didn't follow procedure. And because this person on the phone was very convincing, gave them access to some complete strangers phone account, cell phone account, right? So social engineering is where, you know, you're basically using human tools like our own um um, voices, our own, our own, you know, call, calling in, uh, uh, showing up at the door, uh, and and tricking people into um, providing you access that you ought not to have. Yeah, there's really two components to cybersecurity, and most of the time when we say, "Hey, let's talk about it," we're just talking about technology, and and the human element is really what gets left out of most conversations, of most cybersecurity plans. Um, you know, I don't know if you guys want to publicly admit this or not, but if you took a poll of all of your clients, all of the end users that you support, how many of them as a percentage would you guess is actually going through the provided training on cybersecurity? Because I'll tell you, it's not it's not impressive, right? No. <laughs> we can probably agree on that. Um, executives, you know, when we're telling them, you've got to train your people, uh, even if they agree with you, getting the follow through is damn near impossible. Like that's a tough one, yeah. um, right? So uh, do you guys agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah, I do. Uh, One of the ways that we've seen a lot more um, uptake on 
on cybersecurity awareness training is gamifying it and yeah. um, letting them know that, hey, we're going to be trying actively to trick you on an ongoing basis. And if you find our, um, you know, attempts, when you, when you, when you find one uh, and you report it, uh, we'll enter your name into a draw or, you know, gamify it in some way to uh, reward them and say like, hey, you know, you found it. And that seems to work really well because now people are actively engaged in trying to, you know, find these things. And if they're looking for mine, guess who else? they're looking for right they're looking for other people's attempts so are you saying you use social engineering to get people to learn about social engineering i did (laughs) (laughs) absolutely (laughs) that's what i heard um listen i mean you're you're making the point though right it works it works Uh, so here's the fun fact about us humans we're stupid um (laughs) we think that we operate on intelligence but we don't we operate on emotions and in 100% of what we do is emotional based. We form an emotional opinion or belief system, and then our brains are wired to go out and find evidence to back up what we already believe. We generally don't go out and look for evidence to counter our beliefs, right? Um, so, one, two of the problems with human wiring is, and I talk about this a fair amount, one is we're, we're wired to avoid conflict, and two is we are wired to help people. Right. So we're, we're talking about this MGM thing and, you know, they could look him up on LinkedIn and whatever, and they, they find this poor unsuspecting uh, person that they're going to impersonate. But really what they're doing, they're going into a help desk and they're impersonating a higher up or whatever. Right. And, and they're like, I'm your boss and I need my password changed. And you know what? Fine. Don't, don't change it. <clears throat> and, and you're gonna be fired. You're gonna be looking for a job tomorrow. Is that what you want? Now get my damn password change, right? So this, we're, we're employing not only, maybe they start nice and say, hey man, I need your help. I really need your help. I'm in the, I'm in the crunch, I've got whatever going on. Um, like that video you're talking about, Brian, where she's got a screaming baby, right? And, and I, just, I just need you, can you help me out? So we're wired to say, yes, of course I'll help you out. But if you can train that out of people, then we go into this conflict that we're like, just inherently, we don't want to do it. So like, right. I'm going to, I'm coming at you. You better help me. I'm coming at you. Like, okay, okay. I got it. You know, like, so this is, this is human, uh, social engineering is we play on these emotions. We play on the way the human brain is wired uh, and we manipulate it and control it. It's kind of scary, actually. Um, it, it, there's a lot of psychology that goes into this. So this is kind of the, the main message that I think is most important to get across to people is we've got technology and we have to secure that. But no matter how well we do that, if we don't get control of the human side of it, we're kind of screwed. And that's, that's what happened at MGM, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so there was some technology stuff too, um, but really the, the biggest thing was at least where it started was the social engineering part of it, the, the human element part. So um, what did we miss as far as technology? We, we talked about, um, you know, they found them on LinkedIn, they impersonated. Brian, before you were talking about RMMs and probably we better talk about what an RMM is first. Yeah. And then can you talk a little bit about what they did? Absolutely. So um, in, in, in the IT world, we need ways to access our clients' computer systems. And so we install remote monitoring and management systems to be able to access um, our clients' computers from, from pretty much anywhere. And internal IT departments do similar things. They'll install, install pieces of software that allow their administrators to come in remotely and, and help out. And what happened in this particular case is once the criminals and the, and the hackers got in, they installed multiple versions of their own kind of remote monitoring and management system all over the place. And as many places as they could. Um, and so if 
if they one was found, they had backups. So, you know, they're actually following our rules, which is always have a backup, right? Always make sure yeah. you have a backup. They they installed backup ways to get back into the network should the IT administrators of MGM discover what they were doing. It was very difficult to get them out because they would stop one, they would plug that hole, they'd come in from another way, they'd reopen it back up, and it was like a cat and mouse game. It, it reminds me of the one and only, uh, knock on wood or whatever, uh, time that one of my clients was breached. That's really where I pivoted. I talk about, I got into this world wanting to fix computers. That's That was my love and now I'm fighting crime. But this was that pivotal moment um, where a client got hit with a ransomware attack, encrypted all their files. I wasn't even worried. I'm like, doesn't matter. We've got a good backup in place. I went in, we wiped the server, we restored from backup um, before I even got uh, before I could even make the drive from their office back to mine, they were on the phone and saying, hey, we're encrypted again. Um, and, and long story short, what I was doing is re restoring their access. Uh, they had made multiple administrative password accounts on the server, and they had multiple ways in. And every time I would restore, I was just restoring their access back to the server. Um, that was a huge wake-up call for me. And, so, yeah, and they know that they know if you try yeah. to restore, you know, try to restore that they'll be able to go back in. And and usually a lot of times when that happens, when they when you restore because you think you're going to be able to get them out, that's when the ransomware doubles. Yeah. You know, they're asking for 50,000. Now they're asking for 100,000. Yeah. Yeah. These guys are clever, too. Right. We, we, we think that these are people in hoodies in a basement somewhere, but these are are very sophisticated organizations like like your company my company and their job and they're like they sit around in a room talking to each other like how could we improve our business right how could we how could we get better at our craft how can we improve and and they do that they they iterate they and they get better and better and better at being a criminal and, and just like you get better. Yeah. And they consolidate <laughs> and, and I mean, they even rent software from other That's providers right. as a service, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. so if they don't know how to do it, they, they, they can confer with other people who do and, and rent their, their rent version. The software and they've got help yeah. desk support. Yeah. Yeah, you can they, call in and say, Hey, I bought your software and I can't for yeah. the life of me hack my school and change my grades. Help me out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they've even gone to the point now where they have a code of ethics. Like you, you won't sell oh, yeah. for more than like 30% of the original ask, or you have to ask for at least a million or like, Oh, it's just crazy where they're going. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, the, the, the guys automatically programming the, the software that they're selling, it automatically is programmed to give them a cut of the money that, uh, that is brought yeah. in. So it's, it's built I, I in. I didn't know that. It doesn't surprise me. I didn't me. know that either, but yeah, it's, it's brilliant. It's terrifying. You know, it, it's all of those things. So, um, on, on MGMs on, on this particular case, and I don't think we've talked about it yet. And forgive me if we have, because we talked for a while before we started recording. But the the financial loss, as far as we know, or as far as publicly reported to MGM, is what? I, I believe it's somewhere between a hundred million and and a, a half a billion dollars. Yeah. Yeah, that now, might be hard cost but, and soft cost all built in, right? Because there's so much involved. Right. There's the immediate repair. There, did they pay the ransom? You know, then there's the after effects. Did you know the information get get breached, like lost, and and now they have to pay for a bunch of people to uh, have uh, identity protection on their on their you know credit files, things like that, and the yeah, lost so sales we, you know, and revenue. Right, right. Now, do, do you guys know, did they ever pay at the ransom? 
I don't, I don't know. I don't have that information. I haven't been able I to find it. I know initially they refused, but I can't remember now, or I, I couldn't find whether they actually paid any of them. So, I, I don't think it was ever released. Yeah. So I'm Caesars guessing they did. Was released. Caesars did. And they, they negotiated for like 50% of the ask. Right. And I think that was about 15 million. Um, And and this is all in perspective. And this is where we can kind of lose our client base by talking about these huge numbers, because, you know, I can look at my client and say, hey, you could get hit for five hundred million dollars. And I'll just laugh like I don't have, you know, but whatever. But but the it's a percentage. And when they go after you, especially in a target attack, they know what you can afford before they ask it most of the time. Right. They've done their research. And um, I think Mario mentioned it. You know, we're listen, the federal government can't protect their systems and they got unlimited amounts of your tax dollars to do so. Right. So, you know, a lot of our, our prospects are like, well, you know, we can't afford this. But the reality is, is you don't have to do what they're doing. You just have to be uh, good enough that you're not the low hanging fruit. Put in place all the security protections that are basic and 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 you know obvious. Um, and but if they really really want to come after you, if they're targeting you specifically, they'll always find a way. Well, and here's another thing that I'll I'll tell clients who are like, you know, if the big guys are going to get hit, I've got no chance. The problem with these bigger organizations is not only do they have more resources, but they have a lot more red tape and politics. And so footprint. I as a lowly IT guy at a big company can go in and say, hey, boss, we're going to get hacked and here's how it's going to happen. And the boss can say, hey, sit down and shut up. That's not your job, right? Yeah. Or the boss then could go to his boss and say, hey, we need X number of dollars because we might get hacked this way. And the boss is like, well, that's not in the budget. Plan for it next year, right? So this is a bigger problem than us little guys realize in these bigger organizations. So we look at them and like, they're unlimited. No, they're not. They actually have more limits than we do in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. So there was an example that I talk about a lot on my webinars. Uh, the city of Fort Worth got hit. They lost about $500,000, half a million. And, <clears throat> excuse me, bad timing for a scratch in my throat. Um, the IT guy who brought that to the attention of his higher ups was told exactly that, sit down and shut up. Um, let me turn on a big lawsuit. The guy got fired. He counted, like tried to sue him or whatever. But, um, but that IT guy, his assessment of it was that that the city was ninety percent out of compliance with best practices. Again, we're not talking about high level stuff. We're talking about best practices, just the basic recommendations. Ninety percent out of compliance. A government institution with so-called unlimited resources, right? So it's not as hopeless as we think when we look at these headlines, when we really look at what's going on behind the scenes, it's actually not that hard to fight this stuff, right? I mean, it's not easy, but it's not that hard. It's not hopeless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember, and I think it's probably maybe a year, uh, about a year now, but there was a water treatment plant down in uh, Florida that got compromised and that when they investigated, they found out that the uh, there was a team viewer was installed on all the computers, and it wasn't properly uh, configured. That you actually 
have to log in and, and do it like you would with like other remote management systems. But TeamViewer would just set up on all the computers. All you needed was the ID and the small little password that's the, the default. And there were the hackers were able to get into it and they caught them right before they started um, messing with the, the treatment of the water, which would have then turned into mm. being poisonous. So it's so something to- simple, just like not yeah. having TeamViewer on the computers. Well, so to clarify, TeamViewer um, is a remote access software. It's remote control, um, and it usually broadcasts. That's how you can get you know, into it from a remote site. So they have scanners. The hackers have scanners that can go out and just find any computer with an active TeamViewer listening port, right? Um, so, yeah, that's, that's a huge no-no, which kind of plays into shadow IT, right, where we should be looking at – and we're going to get into lessons learned here, I guess. Uh, <laughs> you know, we can, we can run scans on the software that exists for our clients, and we can pick up on stuff like that. And that's, that's something that we should always be doing is looking for this rogue software or this shadow IT, as it's called, uh, looking for remote access stuff, looking for open ports, looking for you know, anything that the hackers are looking for. Yeah. If we're also looking for it, a lot of times we can find it and close it before they get to it. So for, for clarity, shadow IT is where your own employees are installing software. They, they don't have authorization to install um, right. to make their lives easier. So, you know, hey, I want this file synchronization tool. So I'm just going to download my own and install it and, and pay for it. And uh, that would be considered shadow IT. Possibly because they went to their boss and said, hey, I need this for my job. And they said, no. Right. Like, all right, then I'll pay for it myself. You know, they think it's a money yeah. issue. It's not always a money issue. It's a security yeah. issue. Well, the problem is with team, like a program like TeamViewer, it's free. You know, like they have paid versions, but they have also the free ones. So, like you'll see people like, "Oh, let me, I want to, I want to go home early today, so I'll finish from from home, and I'll just install this so I can log in and finish the work." So they'll install something, and you know, they'll nobody will ever uninstall it when they're done. That's the problem. And file share programs like, you know, it used to be Dropbox was a primary one. A lot of people still use that, which kind of surprises me. Um, you know, now it's OneDrive or, you know, whatever. But the, the easier we make it for us to access files, uh, the easier we make it for bad guys to access files. So super important to keep a handle on where our data lives, how it's being protected, and how we would restore from it, right? That's, that's part of any good backup plan. Um, so, okay, let, let's formally transition now to lessons learned. Uh, you know, and we are intentionally all over the place because we're, we're looking at the MGM, but in general, we're just looking at security and, and what lessons we can learn. Um, so, Brian, I'll have you go first. And then, Mario, if you would just kind of, uh, in your mind, what have you personally looked at? What have you learned? What have you done differently uh, since evaluating MGM situation? Yeah. So specifically, when uh, with this particular situation, we um, we sat down with our our team and just talked about some of the areas that um, what can we do differently to make sure that we don't fall for the same for the same type of traps. And so we usually have a very select few amount of our clients um, um, uh, approvers. So we have a list of approvers that are clients that are authorized to uh, make certain changes. Uh, and if somebody's calling in for a password reset or anything like that, in most cases, um, because we don't necessarily trust um, sending a text message or anything like that to confirm who they are because text messages could be intercepted. In most cases, we'll just call because we're, we, we deal with some clients that are a little on the smaller side. We just call the primary contact or secondary contact and we can recognize their voice and we know who they are at their primary office uh, and we'll ask them to confirm um, if we can uh, reset that person's password um, and 
uh, or uh, in some cases we can email uh, the person uh, manager or the approver to get that authentication from a second person, like a different person than the person who's requesting the uh, the password uh, to be reset. Um, so that's just like some of the things that we've done. And, and there's a, some more, um, not all of them will I get into because I don't want somebody to utilize those to, you know, social engineering us. <laughs> but if you know exactly how we do it. <laughs> so. All right, Mario. Uh, so we we put a couple uh, things in place, and uh, one of them is uh, if somebody calls in that we're not familiar with, that we don't know, he's not a person that we call, you know, that calls in every day, uh, like the owner or something, we'll have them say, okay, you know, to confirm your identity, we're just going to hang up, we're going to call your main office and reach you on your extension. If, you know, just go ahead and pick up and then we can resume with the password reset. We also, um, during onboarding of new clients, um, we'll ask the owner or the office manager to provide us a list of their of the employees, their email addresses and their cell phone. We will send them like a unique um, text message um, and have them confirm the text message that we got. Now, these things are not all 100% proof, but we've trying to narrowing down, you know, we're trying to get to that 97% that you mentioned uh, before. Right. And then, um, you know, another thing is that we will just, you know, if we'll have them reach out to the office manager and say, hey, have the office manager reach out to us and, and call us, um, you know, and give us authorization to do this. You know? Let me let me maybe put you on the spot a little bit, Mario. You said that um, you have, and I think you said it's an onboarding process where you bring on a new client, then you get a list of all employees, and cell phones and whatever else. Um, do you have a process in place to keep that up to date? Uh, well, and I will just tell on myself, that's something I struggle with um, because I've, for example, I've got a client that onboards and offboards probably a dozen employees a week. I mean, it's just insane to keep up with that. So what, talk to me a little bit about how you handle that. Yeah, so we, we you know, in, again, it's very hard to kind of, force people to do this but we we tell them like we we created an offboarding form and onboarding form they go on our website they fill it out but more importantly is the is the offboarding so if um right you know part of the social engineering if if a manager or somebody that we're already actually familiar with calls in and say hey for some reason you know and they speak to somebody you know that may have not been the person to disable the account for some reason my account is disabled uh can you go ahead and re-enable for me and you know if the person knows who it is because he was a you know a, an employee that we never got an offboarding uh information for uh calls in and we reset it then they're back in so we usually are you know it, talking to our the managers or the owners on a regular basis like hey there's any offboarding, um, please let us know. And usually, a lot of times too, during an onboarding process, we'll ask them like, "Hey, is this replacing an existing person?" Oh yeah, you know, it's replacing John Doe that left last week. Oh well, we didn't get an offboarding for John Doe. You know, here's the link. Please, you know, fill out all the information. So we usually, you know, and especially like with licenses, like 365 licenses, we want to, you know, disable one, enable another one. So we, it's, it, you know, it, for our the people listening, definitely one thing that you can definitely make sure right now with your existing IT is make sure if there's somebody an employee that no longer is with you, make sure that you tell your IT guys like, hey, this guy's gone, disable everything. Right. 
Brian, did you have something to add to that? Yeah. Um, one of the ways that we've found that's very successful in keeping uh, an up-to-date list of who works at all of our employees is, or all of our customers, uh, I would say a large majority of our clients are using Office 365. Uh, and so we're using um, a synchronization between their Office 365 and our systems to uh, keep an up-to-date list of active users uh, from uh, their systems. And every time we onboard a user, um, um, we do the same. We, we ask if, if there's um, a user this person's replacing. Um, but more importantly, um, approximately once a month or once a quarter, depending on the client, we will actually go through a list of their um, user accounts with them and confirm that these are still active and still up to date. Um, and uh, anybody who leaves, even if they're, they're you know, oh, we need access to their account, we still disable the account that synchronized back to us to say it's disabled and then uh, just provide access to whatever files that the person needs, you know, the, uh, the new person needs to have access to. We don't give them access to the old account. Um, so that way they're disabled, disabled. Um, and that's how we keep an active list of people who are currently working at our clients to make sure that we're always uh, up to date, even if it's the next day. Okay. Um, so just kind of listen to you guys talk and listen to myself what i'm what i'm kind of observing throughout this whole thing is we haven't talked a lot about technology today um, no there was some amount of technology used in this breach but so much of this is it comes down to the human weaknesses that we have it comes down to policies and procedures it's the stuff nobody wants to talk about this is not fun it's not sexy um but almost i, I don't know i don't have a percentage i'm not going to make one up but a significant amount of time, this is the, the reason people get breached, is a flaw in, in policies and procedures. It's some human weakness. It's, it's something to that effect. So, um, you know, if I was going to have a key takeaway from MGM, it's number one, we are all vulnerable, right? But number two, um, we have to stay on top of not just the technology, because that is key. But we've got to stay on top of our, our human weaknesses, our human behaviors. Uh, we have to constantly be training, um, you know, simulated attacks. We talked a little bit about that. That might have been before we started recording, but, you know, like test test your own, whoever's doing your security for you. Um, try to try to impersonate somebody or, you know, see how good they're their uh, their processes are and you know what honestly um hire somebody to do that for you even better now i personally and i think you guys are the same right i don't trust myself i know i have blind spots i know i have weaknesses this is what i do all day every day but i still know that somebody's out there smarter than me better than me faster than me and they're going to find a way through and so uh I, I have an outside firm that tests my stuff and that, that audits me and, you know, makes sure that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And uh, you guys both do the same, right? Yeah, exactly. absolutely. Yeah. yeah I, so, I'm a, I was just going to say the, um, the best athletes in the world have coaches that right. uh, train them and teach them and, and guide them and, and point out, cause sometimes you can't notice what you're doing. That's wrong because you're ex you're, you're in it and you're internal and somebody externally can see it. Uh, and so the best, best sports people have coaches. Um, why shouldn't we? Right. And so like what Justin was saying, I'll, I'll have somebody watching my back because I don't know everything about it security um, to anybody who says they do they're lying and or incompetent. They, they, there's always more to learn or more to know. And so partner with somebody who has that knowledge and that's what we've done. Well, plus we get yeah, stuck it, in a rut. We get overwhelmed. Like there's, there's just no way, even if we think we're brilliant. Right. Mario, what do you, I, I cut you off there. It, no, I was just saying it, it's it's 
you're auditing, you know, the network. And, you know, by definition, it's a third party, you know, for audit, a third party company auditing, you know, checking the work. Like even IRS, like, you know, the IRS is the third company. You can't have your accountant audit your, your network and, and call it an audit. They're just <laughs> right. reviewing their work. <laughs> right. Um, so you, you, it's always good to have another set of eyes to kind of just look in and, and make sure because you could be staring at the same thing day in and day out and you'll it'll never click to you. Like if another set of eyes looks and say, hey, you notice that you you forgot this section or, you know, this is wrong or you sh- should be doing this a little differently. But if you're staring at the same thing every day, you're, you're going to get the same results every day. Correct. Yeah. So that's kind of where I want to we'll, we'll go ahead and wind this down here. But um, the, the, the takeaway for the listening audience is, um, I mean, even as an IT expert, you probably don't know. Uh, what you don't know, but most of the people listening to this are not IT slash cybersecurity experts. They're they're CEOs or employees of companies where you have you know you're wearing 500 hats and you've got a million tasks on your list. It's growing and growing, and your email your inbox is out of control. And um, good luck uh, fighting cybercrime while you're doing all that. So uh, no matter how secure you think you are, no matter how comfortable you are, just put a second set of eyes on it now. Here's the here's here's what I, the big reveal. What everybody's waiting for, right? How much does this cost? Um, because a true, and I'll be honest, a true cybersecurity audit um, that has teeth is expensive. You know, we're talking about thousands of dollars. But <clears throat> today, we're not really talking about 100%. We're saying, hey, let's let's do something. Like, let's get out of that low hanging fruit category that I think Mario mentioned. Um, and so, all three of us offer. Mario, you called it a mini penetration test. I kind of like mini that pen term. Test, yeah. Mini pen test. Um, I call it a security assessment, a network evaluation, whatever we want to call it. And and you guys correct me if you have a different process. But what I do is I run a third party uh, automated assessment, right? That's mm-hmm. the technology side of it. And then I have my own internal checklist that I go through uh, because it's a, a technology assessment isn't going to reveal this. But I will ask key questions. And then I'll fill out a little thing and it's a nice pretty report and says, here's where you got a a green light, a yellow light, and a red light. And here you go, Mr. Prospect or client. Take this and do what you will with it. Hire me if you want to. If you don't, take it to your IT company, take it to your internal employees and say, hey, somebody else said this is our weak spot. Um, You know, what what should we do about it? Whatever. Start the conversation. That's what I'm saying. It's a free assessment. There's no strings attached. Um, Get the dialogue started. Brian and, and Mario, do you guys have anything to add to that? You summed it up pretty good. Yeah, essentially, this mini pen test pretty much acts like a like a, what would happen if a hacker, if one of your employees clicks on the wrong link and gives a hacker an access to your network, what information are they going to find? So it pretty much manipulates that without actually extracting any of your sensitive data. Right. Okay. So to schedule one of these, if you are lucky enough to live in one of the areas that we support, um, I'm in uh, Texas and Nevada. Brian, you guys want to tell again where you're located? Yeah, uh, Niagara Region, Ontario, Canada. Mario, you're uh, northeast, I believe. Yeah, uh, northeast. We're in uh, New Jersey, uh, North Jersey, and we're servicing the North Jersey and uh, the New York City area and all all the boroughs in that area as well. And and honestly, guys, if you're outside of this, uh, our areas, we have a lot of connections and we can probably hook you up with something very similar. So um, reach out. You can you can get our contact information on unhacked.live. That's the, the website for the podcast. And then quickly, Brian and Mario, if you guys want to give your own personal websites as well or your business websites, you can. Sure, yeah. Oh, um, 
Mine is uh, uh, b4networks.ca. Um, and if you go to there, it's the letter B, the number four, networks with an S.ca. Um, there's, there's a request for our assessment right on the main page. Okay, Mario. And uh, uh, our, our website is mastech.com. That's M-A-Z-T-E-C-K.com. And uh, right there, you can schedule an appointment with us. All right, and I'm mastercomputing.com. And again, jump on those, schedule. Uh, you know, it, we usually start with like a 10-minute call and a uh, verbal assessment, and then we, we move into a more of a deep dive from there. But again, no strings attached. Just get a second set of eyes on this, um, and, and you're going to come away with some sort of a roadmap of, of what your next steps should be. So, um, guys, thank you again for being here. We're going to go ahead and wrap up. Any final thoughts, Brian? Um, I don't. You know, thank you very much, Justin, for having me on uh, on the podcast today. All right, Mario, any final thoughts? Same here. Uh, I, I had a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to uh, doing this next week. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Take care.